good morning once again. So, uh, beginning of the week, they were forecasting snow this whole weekend, so um, I didn't prepare anything for today. I didn't think we'd be here, so I'm going to invite the band back on stage. <laughs> no. Actually, I'm pretty excited about today. Today is fifth Sunday. What that means for us is that our middle school and high school students uh, get to worship with us today and be in the service. So, hello to our middle high school students in the back. Thank you. Um, it's especially uh, special to me because two of my kids are in the service. And now I get their attention um, without um, them being able to stomp off to their rooms or the basement or um, roll their eyes. Okay, I just can't see them if they do roll their eyes. If someone else sees them, let me know. Uh, thanks, Ben. Ben, you watch that? Thank you. So, um, to all of you, welcome to our conversation on the soul. Uh, if you're just joining with us this week, uh, maybe you've missed the last two Sundays or one of the Sundays, we started a conversation uh, two weeks ago with me asking a very simple question. How's your soul? Right? It's actually not a simple question at all. In fact, it's one that I bet some of us still haven't been able to answer. The men's group on Monday, Jeff alluded to it, that we spent a good portion of time just trying to define what the soul even is, right? Let alone uh, how healthy it is. And we know that scripture says it is a very important piece of who we are. Uh, it may be the most important thing about us. That when man was created, the breath of God was breathed into him and the very presence of God, the soul was given life. And we believe that man is not a body with a soul, but a soul with a body. In the book of Third uh, John, in, uh, there's a verse that we centered around the last two weeks in the reference to the health of our souls. It says in verse 2, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well too. And so we looked at how do we know if our, our soul is healthy? How do we know if it's unhealthy? How do we measure it? What uh, determines if a soul is healthy or not? We introduced the idea of a soul detox or a soul cleanse. And most of us know what that means when we want to detox or cleanse our digestive system. We drink something or eat something or stop eating and drinking something. Uh, the definition of a detox is a process or period of time in which one abstains from or rids the body of toxic or unhealthy substances. And so we have this uh, uh, inside you and this outside you. And the outside you consists of your physical body, your job, your family, the school you go to, the sports you're in, the band maybe. But then there's this inside you. It's a place where very few people have access to the, uh, the person you are when no one's looking. Your thoughts uh, that you have, the things you say, the things you might do. I think most of us would agree that there are times that we let uh, things enter into our bodies that we might, uh, that might do more damage than good, like toxins and unhealthy substances. That's why we have New Year's resolutions, right? To get healthy, to lose weight, to eat clean. But unfortunately, on the spiritual side of things, we are constantly letting things that are unhealthy creep into the inner you. The most uh, of us go and most of that goes unchecked. So last week, then, the conversation shifted to the process of a detox. If we want our souls to be healthy, if we want our souls to be healed, there's a process. There's a period of time where we give attention to what's going on inside of us. We begin to become aware of what God is doing. And because it's a process, we must be patient. Like a farmer who's planting a seed in the garden and he waits for it to grow. 
We must allow what God is doing, uh, to, to, the way he's moving, to, to work, to, to grow inside of us. And so often we use words here like shaping or being shaped or moving or growing or transformed or transforming or progressing. We use these words to describe what God is doing in each one of us every day. And we may not even notice it. That God is giving us these opportunities to grow and be transformed and be shaped. So I gave an example last week, hypothetically, me coming home from work and sitting down just to watch TV, right? And my amazing wife uh, finishing dinner, washing dishes, helping kids with the homework, making sure the three-year-old doesn't have the permanent markers again, right? And then she'd have the nerve to come into the living room and interrupt my show and ask me to help her. All hypothetical. That moment... My kids are here, right? My, my moment is going to, that moment is going to shape me, right? My response to that is going to shape me. I can either get defensive, like I said, and say, this is my right. I've earned the right to watch TV. Or I can engage in the relationship as a father and as a husband. I can move towards uh, being more like Jesus in giving selflessly and, and generously. I can practice what it means to love my family in that moment. For the teens that are in here, it's moments at school where you are in a conversation with your friends and someone begins to talk too much, right? And you can join in on that conversation or you can end the conversation. Or you head into the lunchroom and you choose to sit by someone who is sitting alone. That you lay down your right to sit with your friends and choose to be friends with someone who might not have friends. Or for the rest of us, right? If that pastor asks us to give or serve, or join a small group one more time, I'm out of here, right, you know? Or you could say, is there something more I can do? Is there another way that I can help this community? Is it it time for me to engage at a deeper level? And that's not saying if you're already doing those things, you have to give more, serve more, join another group. You know the level that you're involved in. This moment in our culture is rich with opportunities to be the hands, feet, and voice of God to the world around us. No greater time in my lifetime have we had the opportunity to love our enemies than we do right now. Or the opportunity to live out the story of the Good Samaritan than we do right now. To proclaim that we serve the kingdom of God and not the empire. Everything we do in life shapes us. Every opportunity we're given has the power to transform us. And our response to those opportunities is is what dictates the direction we go. Because there are only two directions we can move towards God or away from God. But the process is a process. It's not a switch or an easy button. You can't swipe the screen to the side and be done. The journey, the pathway to healing your soul is going to take some time. And maybe you're like, well, I'm good. My soul is fine. Me and God, we're tight, right? But for the rest of us, myself included, my soul has seen better days. But the process involves planting a seed. And that could be the seed of discontentment. That I'm, I'm not good with where my soul is. And so I need to plant that seed and I need to replace the bad soil and remove toxins and unhealthy substances. And I need to water the soil and add sunlight. And, and then I'm just going to wait. Because it requires patience. It requires commitment. But here's some good news. We don't have to be in a rush. The good news is that you don't have to change in this moment for God to love you to accept you, to be happy with you. The truth is, is that Jesus enters the mess with you and says, let's get through this together. 
And so here's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about our starting block, our ground zero. See, my 12-year-old Maisie is doing a history day project, and she's asked me, told me, to create and build this display board for her, her group, right? And until that's finished, they said that they can't start working on the other parts of the project, that they need the display board. So I suggested to her, why don't you use one of those amazing trifold boards that you get at the store, right? And she's like, no, Dad, we want it to be wooden with hinges and a rounded top, painted gold, dipping glitter, right? And I exaggerate a little bit, but, but this is a serious project that all of a sudden I've been volunteered to do. And I'm like, I'm not in seventh grade, right? You know, you do it. I'm watching TV, right? Or I can engage in relationship with my daughter. And so my afternoon today is building a display board. Side note, if there are any carpenters available this afternoon, I am buying lunch. I would settle for a first responder, though, because I'm not the best with power saw either. So, you know, you know, but for you and I, spirituality, the inside you, the inner you, where do you start? Where's your starting block? What, what, where must you start? What does your display board look like? And here it is. Write it down. This is where you and I start. That God loves you. You and I are loved by God. That God loves us and God is for us. The conversation must start there. That you and I are chosen sons and daughters of God. That we are the beloved children of God. This is who you are. And it's amazing how much time and energy we spend trying to answer the question, who am I? Let me show you how hard it is. Take a moment. Turn to the person to your right or left. I want you to tell them your name and one thing about you that describes you. Not in this moment like I'm hungry or I'm bored, but something about that describes you. Take a minute do that real quick. Literally, some of you are refusing to do this. This is, I mean, you're not, you won't even look at the person like, there's no one next to me, there's no one next to me, there's no one next to me. All right, all right. That's a hard question to ask, especially right on the moment. Like, what's something about you? What, who are you, right? I got an idea where maybe some of your answers went. Let me, let me get there, here. There is this line in our life, this line, okay? That we're on. And above the line are the times that we're doing good. We feel good about ourselves. We feel healthy. When we go below the line is when we feel bad. We're doing bad or we, we feel unhealthy. And we spend most of our life trying to stay above the line. And that's usually determined by success or our accomplishments. How are you doing? Well, let's look at my wins and losses. We define ourselves by the accomplishments in life. And we spend so much time and energy trying to be above the line. And it's an issue for all ages. It's an issue of being. Who am I? And so often we define it by the things that we do. When I'm doing blank, I'm good. And we perpetuate this false idea that being, the who I am, is achieved in accomplishments. We look back at our trophy case. 
how fast our last marathon was, what our deadlift was, what our, our next business deal is, right? I looked at Brian because he's an amazing deadlifter, guys. Um, ex- but example, you know, parents, parents, what do you say when someone asks you how the kids are? Here's my confession. Man, they're good. Maisie's playing basketball right now. She scored 20 points on Robbinsville in the tournament. Best team in the league. Robbinsville, not Swain. But... Or Cannon, man, he, he's doing great. He's at the state competition for his robotics. Or for some of you, you might say, hey, my, my kid just made the dean's list at Carson Newman. Bam, congratulations, Jake. Well done. Our worth, your soul, who you are, is not determined by those wins and losses, guys. For some of us, it's, it's not about what we do, though. It's, that's not how we define ourselves. We, we define ourselves by what other people say about us. When people say something nice or they compliment my message or my beard, man, I'm feeling good, right? You know, but one bad email, one misread text message, one uh, negative comment on Facebook. And I hate this job and it sucks to be a pastor. (laughs) Why do we do that? Why do we let the opinions of others define us? Someone says something good and we're above the line. Someone says something bad and we're below the line. Well, then for some of us, it's not about what we do or even what people say, but it's a, we measure our worth by the stuff we have, the material things, the property, the possessions, the money, or, or privilege. Our self-worth is determined if we can stay above the line. And if not, well, then we re- re- redefine the line, right? And 40 is the new 30, right? Or at least I'm better than that group of people. But the whole system is wrong. Those are not the ways we should determine our self-worth. That's not what defines who we are. The truth is, our self-worth comes from the creator of the universe. And you and I are named the beloved sons and daughters of God. God loves us, and God's for us. And we must start with the understanding that God loves you and stop listening to the whispers of the enemy in the wilderness If you remember the story of Jesus being tempted by the enemy, if you turn these stones into bread, you'll prove you're the son of God because you are what you can do. If you are who they say you are, you will jump and the angels will catch you because you are what they say you are. Worship me and I will give you everything you can imagine because you are what you have. Those things don't define you. What defines you is the voice of God that says, you are my beloved. There's another story in the gospels where there's a woman who was caught in the act of adultery and the religious elite found her and by her hair dragged her half naked body into the middle of the village and they picked up their stones of condemnation. And understand this about those religious leaders They didn't pick up some small stones to teach her a lesson. This wasn't church discipline. These guys wanted her dead. Those stones were meant to kill. But one man stood with her and it was God made flesh. It was the embodiment of grace and mercy and love that stood between her and a crowd that was ready to kill And he said, do you have any idea who I am? Drop your stones and go home. 
And Jesus stood in the gap. And today he stands in the gap and says, no greater love does man have than to give his life for you. And he said that all the way to the cross. So today for your soul to begin a journey to health and healing, you must start with the understanding that God loves you. Those words must collide with your soul this morning. Because if you don't get that, if you don't get that, you end up picking up stones too. And the circle of condemnation continues. Self-hate, depression, darkness of your soul, where we determine our worth by the things we do or, or what's been done to us. The things people say about us. The things we don't have or do have. Did you know that the suicide rate in America is at an all-time high? That New York Times put out a survey or a study in 2014. Women between the ages of 45 and 64, suicide is up 63%. For men, 45 to 64, it's up 43%. But did you know this? That in the last 15 years, the suicide rate for girls between the ages of 10 and 14 has tripled up 300%. Listen, my teenage girls, there's about six of you sitting in that row. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And no matter what's been done to you or what you've done, that doesn't determine your self-worth. No matter what some guy says to you or about you or the latest rumor or gossip, that doesn't determine your worth. No matter what, what makes you worthy, that even before you were born, that God loved you and gave his life for you and named you the beloved daughters of God, And that makes you worthy. And that goes for the rest of you too. Because we are a community that is about people. That is for people. And that we love without condition. And we love because he first loved us. I'm going to read to you from the book Abba's Child. says this, it is God who has called us by name, the God beside whose beauty the Grand Canyon is only a shadow, has called us the beloved. The God beside whose power the nuclear bomb is nothing, has tender feelings for us. And we are plunged into the mystery. The moment of truth has arrived. The revelation of God's tender feelings for us is not mere dry knowledge. But when the night is bad and my nerves are shattered, God Almighty shares through his son the depth of his feelings for me. When his love flashes into my soul and when I'm overtaken by mystery, at that moment of our existence, God offered us this good news. But sadly, many of us continue to cultivate such an artificial identity with the liberating truth of our belovedness, and it fails to break through. So we become grim, fearful, and legalistic, We hide our pettiness and wallow in guilt. We huff and puff to impress God, scramble for brownie points, thrash about trying to fix ourselves. 
and live the gospel in such a joyless fashion that it has very little appeal to nominal Christians and unbelievers searching for truth. But repent and believe in the gospel, Jesus says. Turn around and believe that the good news that we are loved is better, is better than we ever dared to hope. And that to believe in that good news is to live it out and turn toward it. To be in love with that good news is of all glad things in this world, the gladdest thing of all. Amen and come, Lord Jesus. Richard Rohr says we have this desire to, to know who we are. And he poses the question, when do you think Jesus' human mind knew that he was God? Because Luke's gospel says that Jesus grew in wisdom and knowledge. And then Hebrews says that he was like us in every way except sin. Luke chapter 9, verse 18 says, Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowd say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets a long ago has come back to life. Verse 20, but what about you, he asks, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus says to Peter, who do, who do the people say that I am? And Peter's like, man, you're one of the great legends of our faith. You're like Elijah, John the Baptist. And Jesus says, stop, you're embarrassing me. Who do you say that I am, Peter? And Peter's like, well, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. And he's like, enough. Don't say that again. Do not tell that to anyone. And Richard Rohr would suggest that Jesus, just like you and I, gradually came to know who he was. But it wasn't until he was the risen Christ, did he know his identity in full? In other words, it took a lifetime. And you and I, we have this socially constructed identity, who you think you are, and then we all have this self-image. And whether we identify with our family or this community we live in, the school we go to, the church we belong, our circle of friends, our country, I'm this or I'm this. And in this moment... Jesus is very human and he's very humble, asking the question, who am I? Who do people think that I am? I'm often told that I, that I don't look like a pastor, or at least not a pastor from around here. I'm okay, uh, but I still feel like I, I try to dress like I have a job, right? I, I, I put on a costume, right? Uh, I wear button-down shirt, you know, I nice jeans, I try to fix my hair, I oil my beard, you know. Uh, and, but to be honest... I'd feel more comfortable in a hat and a t-shirt, right? You know, but I worry about what people might think. Uh, it's funny. I, I leave here, I go to the store, I put a hat on and people that were just with me don't know who I am and why am I talking to them? You know, it's like I put on a mustache and I'm like, it's me, Jeff, you know, but it's a hat. Um, but it's amazing that the costumes that you and I, we wear to communicate our identity, right? Teenagers, you got to have nice clothes, right? You got to have the converse on. Self-image is huge. Uh, how many likes did you get on your latest selfie, right? But you and I need to know who we are when we're not in that costume. And so Richard Rohr goes on to say that the only, uh, only a healthy religion can answer that question. But we're not healthy. 
And so we use words like in or out or Republican or Democrat or conservative or liberal or pro-life, pro-choice. Those are not our identity. In a culture that defines everyone by their gender or their social status or their ethnicity or their class. And with one mighty swoop of the pen, God gives everyone a new identity. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew or Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's your ethnicity, your social class, your gender. And it was huge in that culture. No longer your identity. Neither Jew or Greek, neither American or refugee, neither slave or free, neither poor or rich, neither male or female, neither gay or straight. These are not the things that you find your identity in. If you belong to Christ, you are heirs of God. And he loves you. And that love changes everything. And that's the good news of the gospel. So let's not get caught up fighting wars over nationality, ethnicity, gender. Those are artificial identities. You are not what you do. You are not what other people say about you. You are not what you have. Those are lies. Those are alternative facts. It's not the gospel. We need to preach the gospel more. That you and I are clothed in Christ. And the playing field is now level. Who you are in God is who you are forever. Beloved sons and daughters of God. I want to invite the band to join me on stage. I'm going to read passage that we started off with. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I invite you to stand. The song we're going to sing is called Solid Rock. The words of the song, when darkness fails, his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath His covenant, His blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. God, in the next few moments, may Your love overwhelm us. May the fact that we are sons and daughters, beloved by God, in whom You are well pleased, Those words were spoken over Jesus before he did a single miracle. Before he did anything, you spoke the words, 
I am well pleased. Before we were born, before anyone knew us, we were called sons and daughters of God, the beloved. We want to stand on that rock. So we sing and we worship you.